Hey, what's up, y'all? Chase here. Super happy to be in your ears. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. It's podcast day and my favorite day of the week where I get to uh, introduce this week's show to you, another doozy, and it's coming from a little bit of a different angle this time. It, 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 you know, I've been doing some micro shows lately, been working in guests from a bunch of different disciplines, and this week's guest is an NBA all-star. That's right, professional athlete, two-time Olympian, three-time NBA all-star, Detlef Schrempf. Played for the Dallas Mavericks, the Indiana Pacers, and of course, my very own Seattle Supersonics, where he went to the NBA playoff, NBA championship, rather that is, and what an absolute legend. You know, I try and, and bring a bunch of different voices into this show for creators, entrepreneurs, the you know, world-class performers, people who, who are best in class. And that's why I wanted to have Detlef on the show today. I've been friends with Detlef for, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how long, maybe uh, not 10 years, but maybe let's, let's call it five years. Someone who carries himself with an, an amazing level of integrity and has played at the very, very highest level of the NBA. We cover a ton of ground that is super relative to peak performance in any industry. Things like mental and physical preparation, what it takes to be basically a freak of nature in any industry. We talk about how, well, I'll say Detlef talks a lot about being largely misunderstood when you're so passionate about something and other people don't share their passion or don't share that passion for you, what it feels like and how, to quote Jeff Bezos, you have to be willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time to break through in any field. And Detlef talks about his, you know, he gets very personal about how as a, as a youngster he was an outsider. Now, he's six foot 10, so just, he's an, he's an outsider, like physically, he's an amazing human specimen, just a giant person. And he talks about, you know, initially being on the soccer field and just feeling out of place there. And that's very analogous to the journey that we all make in life. We all have to try a bunch of different skins on, a bunch of different things before we find the thing that we're meant to do. And he talks about finding basketball and just feeling like he was catapulted into who he was supposed to be. But we do talk a lot about that being different. We also talk about legacy. Like what is it that you're building? Is it just a living or is it you're trying to build a life around the thing that you love and what is it that you wanna leave behind? We talk about giving back, which is a huge theme for the show. It's a very common thread for people who found great success. And what you know, Detlef talks about, it's never sort of never too early to start, to start thinking, to start planning about who you want to be remembered as and what it is that you want to do to carve out your what is it that you're doing to provide value, inspiration, or goodness to your community? So many good nuggets here, and it's just a treat to uh, sit down with someone who's, who's played in the NBA at the, at the very, very highest level. Huge uh, you know, childhood hero of mine, and just t delivers a ton of value here in this, in this interview. So looking forward to introducing you to Detla Shrimp. I'm going to get out of the way. Before we do, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits, and today Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Life classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. 
There you go. Now let's get into the show. Thanks, Jace. Thank Appreciate you so it. much for being here. Um, so, family. Uh, what was the what was the show? You were on the show, not Family Ties, but oh, Park and Rec. Park and Rec. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> so, uh, I'll tell you a funny story, um, and I'm going to ask you about this. So, we got a lot of ground to cover when I talk about um, peak performance. You know, Olympics, NBA All Star, transitioning out of that into uh, another career. What it's like to be rich and famous and how you stay humble and hardworking. We're we're gonna cover a lot of ground. Um, But I wanna start off with a funny story, which is uh, you you were at my birthday party a couple weeks ago, you met my partner, Mac. Um, I I was texting him, hey, I gotta get back to Seattle because I got a a couple of uh, shows to film tomorrow. He's like, who you film? And I said, I'm filming with Detlef. And he's like, I'm watching Parks and Rec right now as a rerun and you were on the screen. So how does an NBA All-Star, retired NBA All-Star, End up on Parks and Rec. What, what, what? Well, at first I thought, you know, they went after me because I had some talent, but uh, <laughs> that was not the case. Um, as you might know, the show plays in Pawnee, Indiana. Yes. And I played in Indiana for almost five years. So, With the Pacers? Well, the yes. Indiana Pacers, yes, correct. And, and they basically had uh, their first season, and they had some difficulties signing on for the next season. So their last episode was a telethon. And one of the writers thought it wouldn't be great to get an athlete in there, a, you know, Indiana Pacer or Colt or whatever, that does charitable stuff, and then we can, you know, kind of promote that. So I think they literally just searched for, you know, former Pacer that does charitable stuff, found my foundation, yeah, and sent me, uh, sent us an email uh, to our foundation office, and they go, they want you on a TV show, and I go, for what, you know, and the lily had me just come in and give them a check. They were doing a telethon, I can't remember what it was for, but I would give them a check, hey, I'm donating. And so I told them, uh, I do it, but the check would have to be really large. And, <laughs> because I'm uh, six foot ten, we need uh, And Amy Poehler would have to say Detlef Schramm Foundation, <laughs> so maybe we could benefit from it, right? Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I go to LA to film this, and uh, I thought I just Lily would be presenting a, a, a check, and that kept writing me into more uh, seats. <laughs> So it was really odd because I had first no words and then I had to learn stuff and then I was doing different you know, stuff. And then the next three years they kept bringing me back for the final episodes. And then I saw, I thought maybe I had something going on but it didn't work out that way. <laughs> well, there's so many things I, I, I think there are, are, that they thought of you, it's not an accident, you know this, it's not just someone with a heartbeat and a foundation. Um, like you have a reputation of being just uh, uh, star on so many different qualities um, and one of the things that I feel like is uh, I don't know if it's absent but there's this sort of a humility that you brought to the game which I find is you know the audience that listens and watches the show is largely creators and entrepreneurs but we try and have top performers on from all disciplines I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that um, if we, I'm gonna just circle back one more time on the, the Parks and Rec, and yeah, I find it interesting that I know about that, and, and Mac, my partner, were you know, in our 40s, and Mac's kids are also like, wait, you got a picture with Deadless Shrimp? Because they, they know that show as yeah. well, so you've done a nice job of, of transcending pop culture for what it's worth. <laughs> now, a- a- ending there, so German born, uh, back when it was West Germany. Right. So what was it like to grow up in that dynamic and how did you find sport? What was that, was that an outlet for you? And, and, and just give us a little bit of backstory on your, your childhood and how you sort of um, found your way into basketball, besides from you know, being naturally a tall human. Yeah, well that happened late in life actually, late in my years because I was a total late bloomer. Um, I grew up like most German boys did, played soccer. You know, mm-hmm. As soon as you can walk, you start kicking a ball around. So you, lo- you join the local, you know, the nearest kind of um, um, football club because you don't really play it in schools. Mm-hmm. It's all through clubs. And that's how I grew up. And um, I was always a kid that I thought didn't quite fit in. You know, I was very skinny, late bloomer, bleach blonde. 
um, you know, got to like 11, 12 years old, and you know, you know, those guys that already have, you know, a mustache and hey, that looks yeah, funny. and I'm I'm the I'm the skinny kid, you know, and um, by accident, uh, actually, I fell into basketball. I changed schools because I wanted to get into um, you know, teaching sports. Basically, I wanted to to pursue that avenue, um, and um, the school I was at didn't have it, so I changed schools, which was you know a few miles further away, and. Uh, they had the PE teacher who went to UCLA and played basketball with Bill Walton. So he introduced me to basketball in the school, and uh, even though I, I was not very good, it just uh, I, I enjoyed it because it was a different challenge. Yeah. And then within basically three years, I was one of the best players in Germany in my age group. And wow. uh, you know, I just um, I always tell people, you know, when you're at that level. Um, not just in sports, but in, you know, in business too. When you when you're not, you're not normal. Right? Yeah, I mean, you're not. Yeah, you know, because the things you do, uh, normal people don't do. So you either look at yourself and don't like yourself, or you embrace it. Yeah. And I totally embraced it. You know, I, I lived in basketball 24/7. I, I practiced and played for three different teams, three different age groups. Uh, as a 14-year-old, I played on a man's league, um, and just you know, I didn't have a social life. That was it. And, yeah. uh, you know, it worked out. <laughs> uh, well, I, think, I think that's fascinating that, that there is sort of an all-in and recognizing that you, if you have so much passion for something yeah. and that, A, it's okay to lean into that passion and, B, that what you're really you're gravitating towards is your tribe. These are your people and you want to be around basketball and the sport and there's, you know, you can play that year-round and the same is true if you're a photographer or designer you want to build a business. I think mm -hmm. there's... there's um, Culturally, I feel like there's resistance. So did you feel like, well, that's, you, you said you're not normal, right? Yeah. So that's where, I, that's where the word and the concept of resistance comes in. You're like, oh gosh, none of my friends are this into basketball or none of my friends wanna you know, start businesses or go off and be a, a creator or an entrepreneur. So how did you, did you feel like you had to reconcile with that at all? Or was you, were you confident enough that, you know, was there some, you know, just talk to me about it. Was there any conflict or was it just natural for you? Well, I think it was a process because I think as a teenager, you know, we all want to be accepted. And I struggled for that for a long time because, you know, I was okay at soccer, but I wasn't part of the core group. I yeah. was kind of the outsider. School, I was an okay student, but I wasn't here or there. Yeah. Uh, socially, I was, you know, getting in trouble with, you know, doing stuff and hanging out and skipping school and things like that, but I wasn't part of the core group, I was yeah. kind of a hanger-on. Yeah. So basketball was the first time where I had success. You know, well, all of a sudden people are looking at me going, wow, he's pretty good. And, and I think with that, you, you, you know, when you're good at something and you're recognized for it and people acknowledge it, you all of a sudden your, your confidence level goes up. Yeah. And, um, and that is another discussion because then you can go a little bit over the top where <laughs> confidence turns into arrogance. Yeah. Um, and pro athletes have a tendency to go there. <laughs> but um, so for me, that was very important because I, I was searching for something for a long time. And then basketball came along and I'm going, dude, I mean, I'm good, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and so it just, it just went from there. So let's talk about the, the confidence going into arrogance. I think you did a nice job of like realizing when you're good at something, like whether, whether you're good or you love something, I think in both those situations, mm -hmm. I'm going to put a little few words in your mouth here. It's just like lean into the thing that you love or that you're good at. Yeah. Um, you know, this, these sort of concentric or, or rather overlapping circles, like what you're talented at, what you love, and what you feel like can, you can make a living and a life doing or, or at least pursue until yeah. something else comes along. Um, so, but if we change the conversation to what you just alluded to and you go back to my opening point, which is, one of the, I don't know, I don't, can't remember how long we've been friends. We'll try and get back to that story in a second. But the humility with which you even approach the story of Parks and Recs, like your humility is obvious that the foundation that you, that you um, have in your name is an incredible foundation. Um, and I know you as, a, as an entrepreneur and a business person now. Where is that humility something that was, you know, born into you, bred into you? or built, or did you learn the hard way and have to realize that you weren't all that, and that we're all just like putting our pants on the yeah. same way? So what was your personal arc? And then just talk about 
sort of confidence and arrogance in pro sports or superstars in general? Yeah, it's complex. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, first of all, I, I have to give my parents credit to some degree, especially my mom, for keeping me in line, you know. Um, and, you know, I got stepped on more than I stepped on early on, so I was yeah. never one that was very confident until I, you know, I succeeded in basketball. And, and definitely my early years of success, I was, you know, the typical athlete because I think we go through stages in life, you know, that you, know, you start out as me, myself, and I, right? <laughs> and, and I mean, as a teenager, it's all about me. You know, yeah. it's, I want more, I want this, I complain about that, and, and continues. And for pro athletes, I think that stage sometimes goes a little longer yeah. because, you know, we want more. We want uh, always asking for more playing time, more money, more exposure, more of a contract, more marketing deals. Yeah. Why am I not featured? Um, it's that, you know, because we've been bred to succeed and yeah. you kind of go, and you to know, compete. Yeah, and you want to compete and I want to be you know, known for it, right? Yeah. You want, you, and, and it goes back to I want to be acknowledged. Yeah. Right? It's interesting how those things as an adult, they're the same things as one as, as a yeah. seventh grader, right? Yeah. Just exactly. to be seen. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you want to have that pat on the back. Yeah. And I think, of course, for most people that want to be successful. Um, and I don't know how, where it changed for me. I remember, you know, I tell the young guys now all the time, I remember, you know, being my first few years and you're sitting in a, in a room and you meet the CEO of a company or some executive or some billionaire and it would literally be like, yeah, Chase, nice to meet you. And now I turn around and I'd already forgotten your name because I, di I didn't care. I had shutters on. Yeah. It was about myself and the game, you know, yeah. so, yeah, whatever. And so I said, guys, you're going to have opportunities to meet people that, you know, if you build relationships, that will help you throughout your life, you know. And I don't know where it changed for me. I think once you get married, have <laughs> kids, uh, you know, other things become more important. Yeah. But it's a, it was a slow like process. Perspective, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. There's... It's not just about the game and yourself. Um, and then, you know, we, especially... We found out early on that our youngest, you know, uh, had some special needs. Mm -hmm. So you, you, your life changes, you know, because you're trying to figure out how to navigate around that and uh, what are the best avenues and services and all that. Um, and then, yeah, again, and then you kind of get to that point where you retire from basketball and you have to make a decision, you know, um, because life changes. And people don't understand that never really performed in front of people. Uh, you can never duplicate those moments, right? Say yeah. you you make a sh winning shot or you miss a winning shot, miss a winning shot in front of twenty thousand people or millions on TV. It's a playoff game. And, you know you might get knocked out or you you advance. The emotional roller coaster and the, the adrenaline, the high and the low, you just can't duplicate. And so a lot of our guys struggle with that. Yeah, you when know? you leave that, the, yeah. like, the, both the figurative and the literal arena, yeah. right? You're in the arena yeah. and... And it's over. Yeah. And so where do you get that? And if you still search for that, you run into some issues, uh, especially when you still think of yourself so highly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's, I think I was always surrounded with good, good friends and good, good neighbors, yeah. you know, that helped me along the process. But it was the, dude, you just played basketball. You know, what else do you do? You know, I mean, you look good on TV, and then, you know, 20 years from now, nobody will remember. Right? <laughs> that so, you looked good on yeah, TV 20 exactly. years ago. So I think that, that um, I'm, I'm going to extract some of those things, and, and what I heard is, like, good friends and neighbors and mentors, and uh, I'm just going to put the word community out there. Yeah. So how important, even as a professional athlete, when you're wildly catered to when you have agents and trainers and all of the sort of the infrastructure is there to, to take mm -hmm. care of you and make sure you succeed. How important was community as, a, as an elite athlete? Well, all of it is important. I think, you know, I miss the trainers, you know, yeah. especially, <laughs> especially like, when, when you get older now, you know, I played soccer, I kicked the ball and I think I pulled my quad. I'm going, oh, what the heck, you know? So back then, you know, that'd be a week, right? Yeah. Because you get treatment three times a day, you get a massage, you get ice and you get ultrasound and oh, I'll be ready to go. 
No, it's been a month. Yeah, so, <laughs> still gimping so, around. Yeah, I miss that. That, but that, such is life. Um, you think I was fortunate? You know, I was fortunate. I uh, we live in, as you know, Seattle. We live in an incredible community. Mm -hmm. um, that is, to me, is one is very giving, very embracing to a certain point, and if you pick the right community with the right um, neighbors. Yeah. Uh, the right families, it's quite amazing. And what, I was fortunate, we, we had great neighbors, our, all our kids grew up together. We'd be sitting at the barbecue, we go to you know the club, to the pool, hang out with the kids. We're sitting in bleachers every weekend for sporting events. And you know, you're sitting with executives, tech guys, with real estate guys, and uh, you know, you always talk about stuff. And I think that helped at least my process of trying to fi figure out what I do after basketball. So let's go back into basketball. Like how much of um, like it's a team sport versus say snowboarding or uh, you know there's any other numerous sports we could name that are in more individual. But how much of a community was your team? How important was team building? Was camaraderie? Were like partners mm -hmm. in? what you were doing as a, an elite athlete. How important was that? Or was it, did you still think of it because of the ego and the requirement to be, you know, mindset is so critical as a professional athlete. How, talk to me about the balance of those two things. Was, you know, how important was the team and, and or, or was it all about the individual and what's the balance there? Well, I think you still have to do your individual Things to yeah. get ready for what you need to do as a player. So that means summer programs. You know, you're, you're lifting weights, you're working out, you're doing sprints, you're running stairs. You, all those things physically and mentally too mm -hmm. that you have to get yourself ready for the season. But then, you know, once that starts or prior to it, when you actually play and practice as a team, um, you know, I've been on some pretty good teams, but also been on some very mediocre teams. And it's pretty easy to tell the teams that work together, yeah. succeed, and the teams that have talent but don't, do not succeed. You know? what, what are the characteristics of, of either? Like what well, does it feel like to be on? One is everyone is, has to be extremely, extremely uh, competitive, but yeah. you're also willing to compromise. And, uh, and so you have to have a good mix of stars and role players that are willing to compromise, and yeah. maybe some stars that are willing to take a step back. If you don't have that, it's just people are going to be, you know, competing against each other to get more points or shoot the ball more or get more attention. And, uh, and it kind of starts from the top down. If you have good leadership, ownership, general manager, coaches, uh, it filters down to the players. And if you have some veterans that kind of take the lead, it really helps. Well, let's go back to the individual part of that because I think what you, most people, when you throw that question at them, that's, it's sort of, about team, I like that you peppered in there. Like you have a almost a responsibility and obligation to mm -hmm. take care of yourself, to be mentally strong, to be a team player. And you talked about the preparation. How important was, you know, was preparation, the stuff, the mindset, and all the like the training that you did. And again, for the folks at home, this is largely people who are deciding to build businesses and create. And and what I try and advocate is that there's, you know, you you play a role in a community. And if you're a photographer, it's your job to help grow and, and establish and have relationships and help, help the photography community, the design community, the entrepreneurship community. But like if you wake up every day, you don't take care of yourself, you wake up every day and you're individually not sound and fit, then it's hard to be a good member of a community. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about, did you feel like it was the same way in pro sports? Is it something that we can compare? Yes, to, I mean to a certain degree because I think it's just some of it is more physical, mm -hmm. um, and and you know nowadays uh, I think you get more services around it. You know, there's a, a big mental approach. There's yeah. actually more planning about the physical aspect too. Yeah. You know, back then I just went into the gym every day and I tried to practice harder than the day before. Yeah. And you know, now it's pretty much proven that's not the way to go, right? <laughs> Eventually, you're going to crash and burn yeah. out. But. Um, and there wasn't much mental. Um, I think w one thing that really helped me early on in my career was that I actually ran into a kind of life coach uh -huh. and who gave me some guidelines and some direction, which helped me tremendously. Mm -hmm. But that was unheard of back then. Um, but I think for, for most of us, and, and you know, thinking back when I played, not many of us did it, but we prepared ourselves whatever way we thought was right 
and then we came together and you know started the process as a team. Uh, later on in my years, we had more of a, a summer workout Programs. routine together. You can go in early with a team, and there'd be a trainer and you know a strength coach and everyone working with you. Yeah. Uh, once the NBA grew to that, I, but before you were on your own. Um, now, how how do you? pass that on right how yeah. do you give it back uh, for me it was you know doing basketball camps um, through the foundation you know not just in the in the US but we did some all, all over the world um, you know trying to spread the word of hey this is how we grow together this is what we give back um, was it very well organized uh, as far as thinking and how to start that process I think we just stumbled into it and grew from there yeah but, you know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you make me so glad to be, if, if you're listening to the podcast, you're looking at it like a tan, super fit um, <laughs> specimen here. And he talks about being retired and he, he just shrank from 6'9", from 6'10", to 6'9". Yes. Uh, from the clothes fit better. <laughs> <laughs> like more stuff I can wear now, right? Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about, I, I want to, you know, part of what this show is about is about putting on display the habits and the, the mentality of peak performers. Mm -hmm. You've played in two Olympics and you've been an NBA All-Star three times. And in the era of, um, of you know, Jordan's prime, when the Sonics were super hyped, uh, yourself and Sean Kemp and Gary Payton, it was a really, really cool team to watch. It was a really important, I think, interesting trajectory for the, the NBA at that time. Um, I, I know less about your Olympic stuff, mm -hmm. but give me some characteristics. I think you're, you've done a nice job of downplaying it. Like there wasn't a lot there for us, but it doesn't just happen. You don't just stumble into being a two-time Olympian, mm -hmm. a three-time uh, you know, all-star. So what are some of the characteristics? Again, and I'm sort of modeling for the folks at home, like, did you, was it a secret sauce? Was it just hard work? Was it a combination of all these things? Like, just tell me a little bit of a story. Like, these things don't just happen on yeah. accident. And well, go ahead, like, I know you're so damn humble. Like, don't be, like, we need to hear, like, the real, oh, the No, grit, I mean, you know? I was, you know, when I was on my path up, I was not nice. Yeah. I mean, I think, to a certain degree, you have to have an edge to you. And, and, and you got to find what drives you. Mm-hmm. And I think what drove me was um, insecurity of, you know, one, not fitting in, not making it, not staying there. Yeah. Um, you know, every year I thought somebody's going to come in and take my job. And true or not, you know, it's, it, it's what drove me. So I was not normal, you know, and, yeah. and I've heard that many times, man, dude, you know, nobody does that. Or, and I, I took pride in it, you know, yeah. because um, even in college, you know, I, they tried to ban me from the gyms because I was playing all over the city during the basketball season and, you know, different times, day off a game or something, and, and um, probably not good. Yeah. But it was just, you know, it was, it was that whatever drove me. One, I love to play, uh, and two, I've, I've had this insecurity that if I don't put in more work than everybody else, somebody will take my job. Right? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's actually a characteristic of there's, you know, having sat down with hundreds of people on the yeah. show, like the drive and the sort of unwillingness to be comfortable mm -hmm. with, the, with your position in life, either out of fear or love, like that's a really common trait. So I think, you know, A, you validated that. Uh, I want to go back to sort of other people telling you that you were weird or that you mm -hmm. didn't fit in or that you're different, misunderstood. I'll just I'll, I'll call on a Bezos quote because he's just a couple blocks away here. Um, and that is, you know, to be successful, you have to be willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. um, and so can you give us a little more depth or color around when people would tell you that you'd be different? And, you know, how did that, you, you said for a second there, like it was a, it was a point of pride for you. And, and so talk about that. And then in what ways specifically where do you feel like you were different than, than your peers? And how did you, was it, did you see that as a weakness or a strength? And you know, just talk about that. Um, I acknowledged it as being different and maybe not fitting in well to a certain degree, but it helped me make, uh, helped me be successful in what I needed to do, right? Yeah. So whether it was um, 
you know, I was one of the first. When I got drafted in Dallas, the team didn't even have a weight room, right? Just think about that. And uh, wow, yeah. And uh, I came from you know the University of Washington, and um, well, we had a weight program, and I was pretty advanced. I worked with a strength coach there because I was so skinny coming out of high school that you know well, you I got to put some meat on these bones. I gotta, yeah, so <laughs> I, I was in the weight room all the time. So I get drafted by a team, a professional team that pays you money that didn't have a weight room. So I would go to this North Dallas Athletic Club, which was like a mile away, every day after practice, and lift weights. And, and then word got around town then of here, dude, this dude is weird, you know? Why is he lifting weights? Basketball players don't need to lift weights. And you know, so I heard it from that, I heard it from teammates, or even summertime, you know, I'd get a couple guys to work out with me, and, and a lot of times I wear them out. Yeah, because uh, it just—it was just me. I was oh no, another, another this, you know, another game, another this, and and uh, and and it was always competitive. I, it was not just I, me, me. And my wife said you didn't have much of a light bone in you, and I was there <laughs> was it was just very competitive. And um, do you think that that's ultimately was a differentiator for you, a path to success? Well, I think you got to find what helps you make what help, helps you succeed, and in. Whatever you want to accomplish, and and I didn't offend people. Um, I wasn't mean to them. I just was on my own in that path. Yeah. And kind of sometimes people came, and but then they, you know, they couldn't hang or whatever you want to call it. They kind of got tired of me. Yeah. Because they go, no, we're going again tomorrow. Well, it's Sunday. What else are you going to do, right? Um, so <laughs> I got better at it later on in life because, <laughs> but at the time it helped me be successful. Yeah. So. What about, did you find that for every uh, person who's been on Creative Live before, someone I admire and respect, an artist named James Victory, um, James says, what made you weird and quirky as a kid is your biggest strength as a grown-up. And if you can find a way to lean into that. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like there's a pattern of acknowledging that you were different and that you needed to outwork, outplay, and either through Again, love of the game or fear of being replaced, mm -hmm. you, were, you were willing to work really hard. Were there people that you felt like, and clearly you were an outlier in your level of your work ethic, but were there people who, for whom didn't work and were just naturally talented? And what did, what did the, the career arc of those people look like? Or, or behind the scenes, because you know Michael Jordan, you know, like, mm -hmm. did, he, did he have that same sort of fever and desire to train? And is that a characteristic, hard work, or were there just a cross-section of people who are lazy and don't care in the NBA or, or on your Olympic team for, you know, for your in yeah. previous Olympics? Well, I struggled with that earlier, you know, when I was younger and, you know, guys would come every year and they have a lot of talent or guys I played with for years that had a lot of talent, but they just got by with what they had. Because I always said, man, you never know how good you can be, right? And they go, I'm pretty good, you know? And, and for them it worked. Yeah. And for others who, who kind of you know, found their spot and didn't really want more. So I struggled with that because I, almost to the point of uh, I didn't really respect the guys. And later yeah. on I go, you know, everyone their own because yeah. You know, he, he, he's doing what he's comfortable doing, and he's happy where he is. Um, and I always look at that, God, man, you could be all-star every year, but you know, you never will be because you're not willing to take that extra step. And then others who didn't want to take that other step, because they're not, not everybody wants to take that last shot, yeah. or, you know, or play in the last two minutes of a game, or, you know, or have that responsibility of having to perform every night, because now, well, you, you know, you're an all-star, you gotta average this and do this and that. Um, so it took me a while um, to, to kinda, you know, not forgive us, what's more like, hey, you are who you are, and I, you, know, you do your thing, I do my thing. Yeah. Um, and but self-awareness is a very powerful thing, and yeah. knowing that, that that was your, maybe your advantage. You know, I like to say, don't just be better, be different. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, at, at some point, maybe this is just, maturing, right? You kind of get comfortable with who you are. Yeah, was that I an agree. active process for you or did you feel like you just settled into who you are? No, it was, like I said, it's a process. It yeah. didn't happen overnight and it took input from 
a lot of people, you know, yeah. friends and neighbors and people keeping you humble and telling you, man, that's stupid or, you know, um, and my, my wife did a really good job with that. <laughs> <laughs> they have a way. Uh, yeah, but uh, it was a slow process and I was, I was, you know, German, stubborn as can be. It, it, I had to run into the wall a few times to figure it out. So. You look good for running into a wall a couple of times. Yeah, just, just okay. Still got it. Yeah. Um, all right, so I want a small transition. Uh, actually, maybe I'll put a pin in that for a second, go back before we transition. Um, I'm on the f on a flight on Tuesday. What day is it? Today's Friday. I was on a flight on Tuesday. Uh, and the seat back is game six, uh, Seattle versus Chicago, uh. the NBA Finals. Sad. We lost. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to the punchline, but so you know what's what is it? What's it like to, as you said, to sort of take game-winning shots or game-losing shots uh, to be at the pinnacle of a game? Um, again, I was I mentioned earlier, sort of you and uh, Sean Kemp and Gary Payton, and uh, you know playing against Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, yep. and and you know, do you have a is there a nostalgic place that now you sort of look back on that? Do you, you know, what, what's, it, what's it like to play at that level? Because there's a lot of people, I think, at home that whatever, wherever they are in their career or their pursuit of their passion, I think there's always, a, is it as good as it looks from where I'm sitting in the bleachers? And, yeah. and you know, I try and say, well, it's just, it's just harder than you think it is. Yeah. But, it's... but shape, shape your, the way that you think about you playing in game six of the NBA Finals as an all-star, you know, that's the, that's the apex of the game. That's the equivalent of the World Cup, you know. It's like, oh, totally. It's, to me, I mean, first of all, if I wasn't as old as I am now, and, you know. I, he's talking like he's 200 years no, old. No, but, you know, you go through life and you do check marks, right? Yeah. It's like basketball, orthopedic surgeons always told me you shouldn't play basketball after 40. I played you know, until a couple of years ago. Made a little pickup ball here and there, yeah. but it's you do the check mark. Can't play anymore, right? It's just doesn't. It's not good for the body. Doesn't work, yeah. But if I could, I'd play it every day. You know, it's it's a fantastic sport. I love it. I love how it's different every time you step on a court. How competitive it can be. That you know, and every 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 move down the court is different, right? So, from that standpoint, you know, I said I, I would have been playing basketball anyways. But then you take it where all of a sudden you get to the status where um, you know, you're acknowledged. You became, become famous to a certain degree, you know, um, and uh, you have a status in the community that you can use for other things or, you know, that you or should be or proud evil. of. Yeah. yeah, or at least, you know, people respect you for something. Yeah. What you do with it is, is your call. Um, but playing in games like that and going through a season like that, we were good for you know five good years. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and then we get to the finals and uh, we didn't win it, and we were thinking, man, we're going to be back next year because we're that good. You know, we were that good on the West Coast, except Chicago was that good on the East Coast. Yeah. And then you know, within a year, the team gets dismantled, and we we never go back. You know, so. Uh, it changes that quickly, but to play at that level, um, you know, every day, I mean, an emotional roller coaster, you know, and to me, it's like uh, you can only really experience the highs when you also felt the lows. And we had some lows, you know, we lost in the first round a couple of years before, and we had a great season, and, um, and, and so there are those things I look back on, and I look at practices back where Gary and I always fought, you know. Gary was the typical, you know, he worked hard when he wanted to, but he, certain things he didn't do, and so we always, you know, always at each other. And now, you know, now we talk all the time, yeah, right? Yeah, he's still in the community. Yeah, yeah so, uh -huh. uh, but it, I look back at those days that were pretty special, and when you're going through it, you don't, you know, you're still like that guy that, oh, man, the food sucks today, why is the plane leaving so early, you know? You complain, it's yeah. human nature, right? Yeah. But uh, it's, it's quite the life. How about... Um I'm going to uh, promise to switch gears. So we're going to switch gears to, you talked about sort of being retired, and I, 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 um, 
one of the things that I have come to know, and I, I consistently draw a lot of parallels between elite athletes and entrepreneurs or people who are building businesses. Mark Cuban, who's been on the show, talks about business is, the, is harder than sport because it's 24-7. Like, you don't have... There's no rest, there's no off season, there's mm -hmm. no even like at midnight, your customers in a lot of online businesses or whatever, they're still buying your stuff yeah. or not. Um, and so like business is the ultimate sport, I think is how he says it. Um, but for all the parallels that I draw, one thing that stands out to me is that there are people who are good with planning for their future mm -hmm. and there are people who not. Yeah. Not so good at it. And I'm curious, like, I know you, um, in a professional capacity now, you've, you, you take care of people and their, their, their portfolio planning, their longevity, and, and all, you know, you basically create a, a, a life for them after, mm -hmm. you know, with their money, like retirement or whatever. Specifically, I know that pro athletes are notoriously yeah. horrible at that. And I'm, I'm, you know, you, you've heard the, the moniker starving artists or that artists are really bad with, with money. Or, um, and so, again, I'm drawing this parallel. What are, you know, talk to me about what you see in, you know, in, the, in a post-basketball world um, or as people, as artists, are thinking about, like, well, we're, we're notoriously bad with money. And they're like, oh, ha, ha, laugh that off. But it actually can be a huge advantage if you decide to put in some time yeah. and plan for you know, having insurance for your family or, you know, whatever as a creator. And it's, it's not dissimilar to what you're doing now. So talk to me about sort of the horror stories and, and how it can be. Yeah. Well, I think, I'd, first, I think you need to take a step back and think and put yourself into the position you're 19, 20 years old. And that's the, literally the average age of an NBA player coming into the league, right? That's crazy. Have you gone to college? Maybe a year. Yeah. Right. So the majority of the guys come out early. So they don't really go to college for four years. They don't finish college. Um, and as you know, a lot of them come from difficult situations at home, yep. often single parent homes. Um, so if I had come out at 20 with limited, you know, two years in college maybe, they'd given me a four-year guaranteed for first-round pick. I think the minimum is, like, say, four years guaranteed $12 million. I would have gone nuts. I mean, just think, I would have bought a Ferrari. Well, yeah. right, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the maturity level is one thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, again, we're talking the average. We're not talking, to, you know, Kevin Durant or Steph Curry. We're talking the average guy that's coming out, what they're going to do. And just like entertainers, as soon as you have some notoriety and you know, you're in the news, all of a sudden everybody flocks to you. So yeah. you not just have an agent, you have a, you know, you're paying for a marketing guy. Um, somebody probably says, you got to start a foundation, so you're going to hire a family member to run a foundation and, you know, pay them 100 and 200 grand a year. Um, all the cousins are coming out. Uh, you know, you have this whole entourage all of a sudden and a lot of guys feel obligated that they have to take care of them um, and there's always this feel about well when when I get the big contract right it's my next contract um, and again 50% of those guys will not get that next contract so they are where they are and they're gonna be pretty much broke after four years and that's that's so sad yeah um, and there are enough tools out there. The NBA does actually a really good job. Uh, the NFL, all the all the professional uh, leagues, educating the guys and bringing services to them. Mm -hmm. um, they have to go through it when they're rookies, but after that, it's not mandatory. Um, so it's 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 tough. Um, you know, if if the, the good guys that make it happen, they 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 have good partners. Yeah, they find a good agent. They find a always say hey. Your agent is an agent. You didn't go to school to manage your money. So separate your agent from your money uh -huh. and then hire a registered investment advisor. You look it up on the website. <laughs> look it up, you know. Make sure they're clean. Yeah. And they have a fiduciary duty to do what's right for you. If you do that and live somewhat within your means, come up with it. I get $4 million, you know. I'm not making $4 million. <laughs> I, may, I might make two million, taking two million home, but uh, you know, come up with a number you put away every year, and then go from there. But it's, it's a slow process. Guys are getting better. Yeah. Also, salaries are getting much bigger, right? Yeah. 
Um, but um, it's unfortunate. A lot of guys I play with uh, not doing well financially. Yeah. And then you run into health issues because most guys, you know, at that age have health issues that can't pay for it. Yeah. Um, and I've had a bunch of guys in the last three, four years die that I played with, played against, you know, 50, 55 years old. And it's, uh, it's sad. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I find that, um, wow, that's just shocking. 50, I guess. Again, you said you're not normal. You put that much, your body under that much duress for that long. I think that's a, there's all kinds of warning signs there. Um, I'm going to go back to this parallel um, because, again, the, the primary audience is people who are, are interested in elite performers so that they can take some of the lessons and apply it to their own mm -hmm. lives, whether that's creatives, art, artists, entrepreneurs, athletes, whatever. And when folks at home are like, oh, I don't need to plan for my future because that's for everybody else. And I watched this consistently. Like what I ended up being, as you, as you have achieved a bunch of success as a professional, um, I, maybe I did that as a photographer. And you, you you look to your left and to your right, and there's a lot of folks who are um, the way I say it is like they're not willing to um, to fork over for things that are this, these core foundations, things like medical insurance, things like planning for their family, planning mm -hmm. retirement. And I'm I'm a big also a big advocate of investing in your own future. If you don't believe in you, who will? So you have to you know, continue to make bigger bets on your own um, success. But is there a balance? Like, is there a balance where you can both invest in your future, do the things that you need to do? Like, presumably, having a marketing person and having a good agent and those things cost money and you have mm -hmm. to know, you know what, to what threshold do you invest in and, and, and how much do you sort of put away? Because you put all your money away then you're not sort of maximizing the opportunity that you have in front of you. And just talk to me, that seems like a spectrum. And whether you're a pro athlete or yeah. whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, how much am I investing in my, myself and my business and how much am I putting away for a rainy day? That's a good question. I think you know, that's why you come up with kind of custom approach to every unique situation, right? Because yours is different than mine mm -hmm. from you know, not just your business, but your income, your family situation, uh, what are your goals, all those things, right? You, you, you come up and, and basically build a financial plan looking at that. But to me, it's, you, know, you, you try to take the, the what-ifs out, right? And for the athletes, it's typically the, well, what if I get hurt tomorrow, my contract is up next year, and I can never play again? And, but most guys don't want to talk about that. Yeah. It's like, you know, what if I die tomorrow? It's just as bad. But yeah. it could happen. Yeah. So if it's not for you, but you have a wife and you have kids, you know, why would you not at least try to plan ahead for them? Yeah. And, um, but I think with guys, it's just you get so busy. You know, you have the yeah. shutters on. I got I to finish this project. I got to finish. I got to take this company here. Yep. You know, I got to get my new contract. I got to become an all-star, and then I'm going to do it. Before you know it, you know, I've talked to coaches. I've coached for 25 years, and they're going, I'm thinking about retirement in a couple of years. You go, have you ever looked at it before? No, what, what I got? Where's my money? Right. So, and they're smart people. So yeah. it's. Um, That's why I'm asking the question because everyone out there thinks it's not going to happen to them. No. And this sort of yeah. planning and, and rainy day. And I'm wildly, freakishly optimistic. Like everything's yeah. always going to work out. And, and, but the reality is that there's this sort of planning and it really wasn't about sort of maturity or anything it was like you know what to me there is there's always if you can ever afford to have a long-term view yeah. you should yeah. and so what does it look like to put away some chunk of money yeah. sort of like the pay yourself part of the equation pay yourself yeah. first well um, I mean I'll give you an example my son you know he's got a my oldest got a pretty good job not making much money but it's got great benefits you know Matching 401k, for example, mm -hmm. right? So I'm talking to go, you know, you should put, you know, max out, you know, put all this. They're going to match what you're putting in there. And, you know, you can really build up that 401k. And he goes, yeah, maybe next year because, you know, I think I want to get a this and that. This, the break, right? Because, you know, those 200 right? bucks or 300 bucks a month is just, you know, I mean, you know, for a young person, it's a lot of money. Um, I always said the only thing you can really to a certain degree, control is how much money you spend. 
For sure. I, I mean, I can have. How, what, uh, do you live within your means or not? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's really hard for people in a limelight to control that because of expectations. Yeah. I, an NBA player can't pull up to practice and, uh, you know, and now I'm going to be really get somebody mad at me for pulling out a car that's not worthy. <laughs> but he's got to have a, you know, yeah. a decent car. Sure. And uh, so they feel that pressure. And even though that might only make a million bucks that year, you know, NBA minimum salary is now maybe 800000 a year. Say on NBA minimum, he's probably still going to buy a $200,000 Mercedes just so, he, you know, he can roll. And so that sets you back to, you, you can't put money, any yeah. money away, right? Yeah. So there's certain things that you can control and um, it's, it's, again, it's a process. I think you have to walk through it. Yeah. But once you have family and kids and uh, right. <laughs> what's gonna happen to them, you know, if something happens to you or will they be able to go to school? Can they afford college? You know, all those things. Um, I, and, and that's why I sort of, uh, to me it's an important part for Again, trying to map what you know how, how you're talking about it with pro athletes onto the in, independent creators and the yeah. people who are largely watching and listening here. Like that's a a um, that's a reality that whether it's you know the fanciest camera or the sexiest gear or or a fancy studio or a big staff. Like I think the most successful people that I know in a long arc of success, they have had it really humbly. Like, how do I, like, there's something almost very admirable about keeping it super lean. And if, as you said 50 times now in this interview, like, it's, a, it's all individual and, you know, you need to craft that story for yourself. But just to reiterate, like, it's a really important part of, like, why do you have to live, why do you have to have the $200,000 Mercedes? And, and I think those, by and large, if you look at those, they're not actually have-tos. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they're, they're, it's our ego. We talk a lot about needs, wants, and wishes, right? If we all live by our needs, we, we'll do fairly well, regardless of, you know, where you are, yep. the income level. But most of us are kind of in the wants, and then the few people are in the wishes, you know? Even though you don't need that $500 purse, I'm going to get it because that's what I want. Even though you know it's going to max out my credit card. Yeah. So uh, at every level, it's it's all relative. For it doesn't have to be a $200,000 Mercedes because that's you know for somebody that might make a million, but it can be that you know $250 purse that you don't need. Yeah. And uh, so you, you got to look at it. What can that $250 do? It's an opportunity cost. Yeah. Because now for most people, spending $250, you got to make $500. You pay taxes and yeah. whatever else, so that's a lot of money. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk for just a second about looking. Let's talk about legacy. So, um, and I think it's. I'm going to put a a very simple sort of tagline that, which is like, what people think about you after you have sort of left the limelight. As that's your sort of legacy, and whether you're, you know, Richard Branson or other other people have been on the show, there's usually a talk of legacy, and legacy doesn't have to be, you know, you were wildly rich and famous. It can be like, what are you doing to, mm -hmm. like, what what's going to be on your tombstone? What's going to? So, how important has sort of long-term mission and vision been for you, and what are you, you know, what's important for you and your legacy? Yeah. You've mentioned a few things, but try and try and put a bow on it for me. Like, how important is legacy to you, and and how do you think of it? Well, again, I go through these different stages in life, right? And um, I think early on it was probably about being successful and being, you know, recognized as an NBA All Star or a star on the basketball court or whatever else. And uh, <clears throat> you grow up a little bit, and uh, to me, it's more about. Um, you know, one is hopefully I'm raising some children that will be productive in the future. And I'm not talking about rich. I'm mm -hmm. talking about being a positive influence in their communities, uh, making a difference. Um, you know, we've tried to do certain things through our foundation over the years, but it was more um, geared towards 
not individuals, more groups, you know, charities. Yeah. It's all children charities, but it was maybe it's the, from the pediatric hospital to maybe a, a homeless shelter for, you know, teenagers, whatever it is. It was a group of kids. And, you know, for uh, the next transition in life, I, I hope that we have an influence on more individuals to, you know, have that impact in the future. Maybe it's some future pro athletes or student athletes that, you know, will have an impact in our community. Yeah. That they take that path, they learn how to do it, they form the right partnerships. Um, you know, and along the way help some other individuals, you know, whatever, whatever it is, if it's scholarships or, or yeah. whatnot. But um, I don't want it as broad anymore, um, you know, because we have no family, right? We, we have no family. My family is in Germany. My wife's family has mostly passed away. So it's, our, it's us and our two boys. Um, so we don't have the 25 people Thanksgiving dinners. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our boys will be there. And hopefully they know that we're, we're good people. But uh -huh. other than that, I'm not worried about legacy. I don't need a, a trophy somewhere. Um, I don't have trophies in my house. I don't have awards. It's just... Unfortunately, they're in boxes somewhere. <laughs> it's just not, you know, who I am. Um, I want to enjoy life. I think uh, for me, it's about relationships. Um, you, you hopefully build good friendships and you build relationships with people that appreciate who you are and what you do for yeah. them and with them. Um, other than that, the wind will blow over anyways, you know, somewhere down the road, so... Get a good golf tan. Is what we're talking yeah, about. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm at the why not stage. I told you this. You know, uh, if I can do it, I'm going to do it. Um, I want to enjoy life and at the same time still have some impact. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's gotten smaller. The world has gotten smaller. We're not spreading out as far as we used to. I'm going to ask you just a series of questions, like basically sort of rapid fire, and be about you specifically. Okay. And at, at your peak athletic prowess. Did you have a, a routine, a, a, a mental routine, a morning routine? What, what were some of the characteristics at your athletic peak? And then what are they now? A routine. Yeah, like in the morning you always, you know, you never had coffee or you always had, you know, a huge protein breakfast or you always you know, meditated or, you know, in, as, as a peak athlete, did you have some routines? And no is a fine answer. Like, yeah, um... Not to that degree. Yeah. We all, everyone was a little superstitious. So saying in preparation before a game, like, you know, you put your left sock on, you put your right sock on. <laughs> little things like that, yes, totally. Yeah. But I, now I can't even tell you which one it was first, but I had to do it the same way, you know. So there's repetition in yeah, routine. Yeah, repet it was, yeah. And, you know, the warm-ups, the same stuff. I had to take the same shots every game just to get into that rhythm. But as far as getting up in the morning, because your schedule is so different every day. Yeah. You know, you wake up in a different hotel room at a different time, uh, you know, with, you know, maybe you want to eat oatmeal, but they don't have it, you know, whatever it is. So it, you have to be flexible and you have to be willing to change and adapt. Yeah. And uh, I think that has been my whole life, you know, willing to, you know, actually, I look forward to change. Yeah. Uh, so, so for me, the daily routines were always different. Summertime was a little bit more structured because I knew what I wanted to do to train. Yeah. But um, back in those days, I didn't really worry that much about food. Now I do. I just ate everything. You know? <laughs> now I go, oh, I can't eat that, but that looks so good. <laughs> but tell me, so let's now fast forward to your life now. How important is routine to you? Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned you have two kids, one with special needs. You've got, you're paying attention to your diet. So what, is, what does a routine look like for you now? Um, you know, I'm a creature of habit. I like to do certain things. Um, and I feel much better when I do work out, whatever it is. Do you work out in the morning? What's a workout yeah, look like for I you? I try to do something in the morning. So I have a, so I get up and typically I do the same things in the morning. I have coffee, do emails, set up the day. Once that's set, I go work out and then uh, I go to the office and then go from there. Do you, um, what time do you wake up? Is that, are you an early riser? Is that, yeah. do, you, do you try and get a bunch done before the world is moving? I'm usually up by six or latest. Yeah, don't don't sleep that much. So how is what about sleep? Have you always been a early riser? Is sleep yeah. important to your how how important rather was sleep to your career? To, to your I think it's very important. I was just not I've never been a good sleeper. So you get it in you know in spurts. 
Um, but um, no, I'd like to sleep more. My wife likes to sleep. She's she's pretty <laughs> she's good. Pro. <laughs> yeah, she's pro, all star, <laughs> maybe Olympian. <laughs> um, what about uh, any other routines in your life now? Like, and how do you stay active? Um, like I said earlier, they're check marks. Yep. You know, I not play basketball anymore. I said it's just not worth it. Last time I did, it's about a year and a half ago, I sprained my ankle really bad. And there you go. That's three months of not doing anything. Yeah. Um, so I don't do that. I barely run. I do, you know, I do Wait, weights. Is that I right? do weights, yeah. mostly core stuff. Not yeah. a lot of heavy weights, but I just want to keep core stuff going. And then I do something aerobic. So it could be a treadmill. I like Stairmaster or spinning bikes. Yeah. I used to ride road bikes a lot. But then a bad crash uh, was enough. Second bad crash. So my wife said, you only had two lives left, so maybe you should quit. <laughs> so what about, um, you talk about family routine. Is family routine important to you? Because yeah. like, you, know, you talked about always being dynamic and moving. And that's in part how I see my life as well. And I think a lot of creators identify with that. There's things that I like to do every morning. I try and own my morning. But I also travel hundreds of thousands of miles a year. I wake yeah. up in a different hotel room two or three days a week. I've flown two and a half times a week for 11 years. Yeah. It's like brutal. You do the math on yeah. that, and you, you, say, you start not wanting to hear the, the answers. Yeah. So sort of my routine has been a lack of routine, and I try and control a small, like, an hour of the beginning of my day. Yeah. Um, what about... You know, what about for you? How, how, how do you manage it now with the family? Because a lot of folks, that's like, oh, my God, I got the kids. I got to get them off to school. I got to. But there's still time for you in there. How do you, oh, how totally. do you, how do you make that? Well, happen? I mean, again, different stage in life. Our kids are out of the house, right? Yep. So our oldest lives in Colorado. Our youngest uh, lives in a house with um, two other special need adults and a caregiver right now. And is loving it. You know, it's pretty, pretty independent. Uh, so it's a great situation. So that gives us more time to, you know, do stuff we might want to do. Yeah. I love my mornings. You know, I love sitting there with a cup of coffee and figuring stuff out and reading the news and kind of getting ready for the day. And that sometimes that's, you know, half an hour or that sometimes that's an hour and a half. And, but I love that time. It's quiet. And I kind of can figure out what the day will bring. Um, and our, our life has changed so much because, you know, it used to be, Sunday would be family dinner time, and you know we'd have friends over and all this stuff. And now it's kids are gone. Now <laughs> yeah. we are, you know, okay, well, let's play golf and eat at the club or something yeah. like that, yeah. right? So again, different stage in life, and uh, we, our family is our friends. Yeah, you know, we spend a lot of time with with different groups and uh, travel a lot. So travel, where do you like to go? Well, I told you we have a house in Cabo. Yep. <laughs> I love Occasionally Cabo. I'm on a flight with that. I'll look over like, oh, man, you again? You <laughs> tell me you're all tan. You look like you're coming back from Cabo. Um, yeah. We don't spend much time there, but uh, I hope to spend more time there in the future. I love it. Uh, I love different cultures and languages and food and all that. So it's, it's always fun. Uh, you still keep up your German? Yeah. yeah. I always say my German, I uh, speak a teenage German because I left as a teenager, so it hasn't improved much since. <laughs> what about your family? You keep language, yeah. Is language an important part of their family? Yeah. Heritage? My, my parents are still around, so I saw them a couple months ago. They're you know, struggling in their 80s, but uh, they're doing well how relatively. About, how about, uh, have you tried to pass German heritage, language, any of that down to your kids? My oldest, yeah, we had him a little bit in German school. He hated it when he was younger, uh, but he understands a little bit, and he actually played for the uh, uh, junior German national team because he has dual citizenship. Oh, so wow. when he was in high school, he went over one summer. Uh, one of my buddies coached the uh, junior national team, so he stayed there for literally eight weeks and played there and loved it. I uh, had a really good time. Um, so they have dual citizenship. They could go back. You know, um, my, my, old, my youngest uh, English is hard enough for him. He has some, you know, speech issues. So uh, just uh, we focus on one language there. <laughs> Do what you got. Um, if you had one truth that you like, it doesn't have to be the ultimate, like the best truth, the most truth. But is there something that you know in your core to be true? This is the last question. I, I, I promise we we'd keep it to an hour, and we're getting close. So. Is there, is there a wow, truth? Wow, that's yeah. deep. All yeah, right. yeah, you know, philosophical. Well, I always tell people, um, 
you know, we're born as takers, right? We take for a long, long time, and again, teenagers starting on, but you know, pro athletes, a lot of us take it a lot longer. Um, but eventually, you got to get to a point where you got to give something back. And uh, I feel like you, there's even you can't keep track of it. It's really hard. To, you know, people say, "Oh, this is jaw." You know, every time you take something, you take it, put it back in or whatever. I don't think you can keep track of it, but if you feel like you're not making a dent, then you're probably not doing enough. Right? So to me, it's like, uh, um, and there's no end to it. It's not like, okay, I've done enough. I'm, you, you gotta, you gotta find a way. Whatever it is, whatever you're good at, whatever, whoever you can touch to, to give something back because that's all you're gonna, that's all you're really here for. Because it's not what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you live in. It's, it's more like what the people how they interact with you and what they think about you. you know? um, fortunately, not everyone will get there. All right, if, um, I think if we, are, if we can do our part to give, I think that's a um, no better way to end a conversation. I appreciate you yeah. and your time. Thank you for coming by. Thanks for having me. Um, man. A lot of wisdom. Congratulations on an amazing arc of a career and for being such a, a, a pillar in the community here in Seattle. Appreciate Thanks. you, bud. Appreciate it, too. All right, that All about right, wraps up. Uh, hey, before you bounce, two-time Olympian, three-time NBA All-Star. Actually, I'm going to do a quick show, bud. Thing one, See you again, a, hopefully. thank you tomorrow. so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn so check that out they're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet all right until again uh, probably tomorrow i hope i'll hear you i'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and i'll look for your comments on the internets bye